Yeah, yeah, amen. Titus chapter 1. If you're visiting with us today, uh, we just started this book. And we're just going to walk through it and ask God to teach us uh, some of the things that Titus had to learn from Paul as Paul learned from the Lord. So we're still in the first four verses and I'll begin reading at verse one. I'm coming from the New King James Version. The Bible says, Paul, a bond servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, a true son in our common faith, grace mercy and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. So today, as we continue in our thought process of meeting God, we've met God and we've seen that he elects. We've seen that he cannot lie. We've also seen that he is one who pursues us relentlessly, offering us eternal life. And then today we're going to meet God and see that he is our savior. So let's pray. Father God, thank you for these truths that you have relayed and passed down to us over the centuries. How you have preserved your word. Thank you that we are blessed and fortunate to have a copy of the holy word. Forgive us, Lord, for not reading it, studying it, memorizing it, and applying it the way that we should. But we thank you for another opportunity to sit under the preaching of the word. So, Lord, help me to say what your word says, because we know that your word will not return void. As a matter of fact, it will perform surgery on our hearts. It will cut our hearts in a good way so that when the seed is planted, Lord, our prayers that it will produce a hundredfold. So, Holy Spirit, minister, teach your people things that I'm not even teaching them from the word, because ultimately you're the great teacher. You're the one who takes these principles and reveals them to us. So have your way. We can't wait to see what you're going to do today. Give us one central thought as a church today through this sermon about how you are our savior. As the church in Crete had to be reminded of that, remind us today of who our savior is in this moment, in this hour. For we pray in Jesus name and for his sake. Amen. When you tell your story, if someone were to ask you to tell them your story, is there a place in your story where Jesus is the centerpiece? Can you tell your story without mentioning Jesus? If that is the case, then you need to meet Jesus because you really don't have a story without the God of history in your life. Um, Jesus deserves everything. He is the son of God. He is God the son. He gave his life so that we could have life and have it more abundantly. So if he is not a part of our story, a part of our journey, we don't really have life. When, where, and how did Jesus become your Lord and your savior. 
Can you look back to a time? Can you look back to a place when Jesus became your personal Lord and Savior? Now, I said Lord and Savior, not just Savior. Um, Sometimes we want to try to get Jesus just to get us out of hell. But Jesus came to give us so much more than a free ticket to heaven. He, He wants to save every aspect of who we are. And that's where lordship comes in. Serving him comes in. I met Jesus as my savior after growing up in church. You know my testimony. I'm the grandson of a preacher. We went to my grandfather's church and I did stuff that church people do. Um, But I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. I didn't know who he was. There was a caricature of him on the wall over the baptismal pool. And I would look at this picture of this man. I'd be like, who is he? And why is everybody talking about Jesus? And I would walk down the hall and go into my grandfather's study. And there would be another picture of this Jesus. And he was praying uh, with his hands clasped. And I was like, who, who is this? Why is everybody talking about Jesus? I had no idea who he was or why he came. Until I went to a camp in 1984. And I went to the camp solely. I was uh, about to turn 16 years old. I went there for the girls. That's the only reason I went to this Christian camp. Everybody thought I was a Christian. I even thought I was one. But when I went to this camp, much to my surprise, they separated the guys and the girls. It's like, what? Oh, no, come on. And so I was in a classroom, a small group of guys, and there was a gentleman teaching about Jesus. And he was teaching from Isaiah chapter 53 about how Jesus came and how he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. All we like sheep have gone astray, but the Lord has laid on Jesus all of our iniquities. And that was the first time the Holy Spirit made the gospel clear to me. I was like, wow, that's why he came. That's why he died on the cross. It became personal to me. And I began to realize through the rest of that week as the Holy Spirit was moving on me that going to church is not enough. Being the grandson of a Baptist preacher is not enough. I needed to know Jesus for myself. And so on that Friday night when the preacher gave an invitation, I walked the aisle and I gave my life to Jesus. I didn't know all that I was doing. I just knew that I didn't have him and I needed him and I wanted him. And so I accepted Christ and the fire of the spirit of God, I, you, I could feel a, a difference in my life. I, I felt this love and, and his power just rushed into me when I said, yes, Jesus, I want you. And man, I went home from that camp and that fire was in my bosom. And so I knew something happened to me. But slowly that fire began to die out because I didn't really know what it meant now to walk with him as Lord. I met him as Savior. And you know what? He and I are still on that journey all these years later of me walking with him as my Lord. And I thank God that he is my savior. But I want to say something to you today about the Lord being our savior that might maybe give you a new thought. Because I want to take Jesus being your savior out of the realm of just he is taking me or taking you to heaven. I want to say something to you to encourage you that he is here to save you now every day until you get to heaven. And it's not so much an eternal salvation because once you accept Christ, you're saved. And the Bible says he is able to keep you saved. So it's not about, Lord, help me get saved again. And I used to do that every Sunday, you know, after you were out 
bugging on Friday night and Saturday night. Then you come in church, Lord, uh, let's just make sure this is right. Let me, you know, one more time. So I was being robbed every Sunday because I didn't understand the gospel. I didn't know who I was in Christ. And I did use Jesus as fire insurance that I would have to sign up again every Sunday. Some of them deacons would see me coming down for prayer. They're like, you coming again to get saved? Didn't you get saved last week? Didn't you get saved the week before that? I didn't know who I was in Christ. And so I am growing and I want to share with you just a couple of thoughts today. You see, Paul wanted Titus in this book to remind the people of Crete who they were and who their savior was. And so he repeated six times in this three chapter letter that God was their savior. God was their savior. Jesus was their savior. God the father was their savior. As a matter of fact, you see it uh, once in verse 3 of chapter 1, God our savior. Then you see it again mentioned in verse 4, the Lord Jesus Christ our savior. And then four other times in this letter. Because the Cretans who had a reputation, according to Titus chapter 1 verse 12, of being liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. These were the people Jesus came to die for, not only to take to heaven, but to give them heaven through their lifestyle. These are the people Jesus came to save, to change, to touch, just like all of us, because we are liars and we are evil beasts. We can be lazy gluttons. Jesus came to save sinners. Matter of fact, that was his mission statement. The angel said, you shall call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. He's the savior. He saves and he saved me. And I got a feeling that I got a few other witnesses in here who can vouch and testify that he saved me too from my sin. Yeah. He changed my life. Oh yeah. I know. I know I met him. I know I met him. Uh huh. I know. I know. Woo. So these Cretans, these people would just come fresh out of the mud And the Lord was putting them upon a rock and establishing their goings. Now they're walking through the sanctification process. Because when Jesus saves us, he saves us in phases. Let me give them to you real quick. There's justification. And that is Christians or or sinners getting saved from the penalty of sin, which is eternal death. But because of Jesus giving his life for us, shedding his blood, rising again from the grave, Romans 4, for our justification. In other words, he has declared us as righteous when we put our faith in Christ. So the father says righteous. In other words, he's saying that I look just like his son, Jesus, in his sight. I look perfect. I look just like Christ. He declares me as righteous. He justifies me. It is a legal term. And who shall lay a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. So the enemy will come and lie and he'll try to accuse me to the father. He'll accuse me to the brethren. But I have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one who stands up before the throne and says, father, my blood has been credited to their account by faith. They are declared righteous. They are justified. It's legal in the courts of heaven. I've been saved from the penalty of sin once and for all. But also there's this thing called sanctification, where until I go to heaven, I'm being saved from the ruling power of sin in my life. 
Romans chapter 6 and so many other great passages. It's a process. It's a journey. No one arrives at perfection down here. But we're pressing on. We're forgetting what lies behind. We're reaching towards Jesus. The Holy Spirit is transforming us and conforming us into the image of Christ. We are walking in the Spirit so as not to fulfill the desires of the flesh. It's a daily thing. It's a momentary thing. Oh man, it's a process and it's called sanctification. Where he saves from the ruling power of sin. But then there's this thing called glorification where he saves us from the presence of sin and we go to be with the Lord in heaven and we don't have to worry about any corruptible thing getting in there because he's going to change us and he's going to change everything. So Jesus is our savior and the people in Crete needed to be reminded of the gospel, the good news just like we need to be reminded of the good news. And so God knows we not only need a savior from sin, but we also need a savior from Satan. Because Satan still, as we pray today, he walks around seeking whom he may devour. He was a liar from the beginning. He's a liar now. And if he could, he would kill all of us. But God puts parameters on Satan's authority. And so Satan, he is here as a lion. He is here as a deceiver. And there are many times we have to ask the Lord to deliver us from the evil one. And that's what Jesus taught the disciples to pray. He said, when you pray, pray like this, deliver us from evil. That is deliver us from the evil one. Deliver, save us from the evil one. Because he is lurking about seeking whom he may devour. So, Lord, watch out for me when I'm not watching out for the enemy. Matter of fact, my focus is on you. I'm not focused on the enemy. But he will try. So, Lord, save me from dangers seen and unseen. Jesus, be a fence all about me. Thank you for your angels that encamp round about me. Thank you for angels that see your children's faces when they are born. Because there's warfare in the heavenly places that we can't even see with the natural eye. That is going on constantly. But Jesus, save me. Save my family. I plead the blood over my family right now in the name of Jesus. Because as Chris said, Jesus is not only a lover, but he's a fighter. We're in a war, even though we heard last week the war is won. So we still have rounds to fight, even though we're fighting as victorious ones. We still get some scrapes and bruises. But it's an invitation to join Christ in suffering. But it's, well, we're already winners. But we still have to fight, not for the victory, but fighting from the place of being victorious. Because while we're in the nasty here and now, there will be a constant tug of war against the forces of light and darkness and satan hates us just as he hated jesus so lord deliver us as paul even said we need to take our stand against the wiles of satan constitutionally satan is superior to us as far as raw power but we are greater than him as far as our spiritual identity in jesus Because greater is the one who is in us than the spirit of Antichrist that is in the world. But we respect the enemy, but we don't fear the enemy. And so, Lord Jesus, save me. So let me wrap myself up in the armor of God 
Really, each piece is a reminder of who Jesus is. He is my salvation. He is my righteousness. He is my truth. He is my faith. He is my shoes of peace. So when I put on the armor, I am putting on Christ. And so I'm reckoning it to be so concerning who God said I am. And I'm going to live this out by faith. By faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I'm going to walk it out today. And when I fail and when I don't believe, Lord, help my unbelief. When I fail, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me from my unrighteousness. And he does just that. So it's a walk. But I need him to save me. But not only from sin and from Satan. I need him to save me from myself. Because I'm a new person, but I got this old flesh. And this flesh is trained. It's contrary to God. It has lust and things that will drive me and drag me away from the Lord if I allow it. And some days and some moments it wins. But I thank God again for the Holy Spirit who won't allow me to stay down or stay over there. The same spirit that raised Jesus up from the dead is alive in me. And so I I can't stay down. I can't stay in sin. I can't stay in despair. There has to be a resurrection and daily there are resurrections daily. So he must save me from myself and he gives me the mindset. He's challenges me, Chris, set your affections on things above, not on these worldly things, man. You need to stop looking at what is seen and look at what is unseen. You have to be spiritual. You have to be spirit led. Come on now. You're spiritual. You're not a carnal man anymore. Know who you are. You're in this place, but not of this place. Come on, Chris. You're seated with me in heavenly places. Your citizenship is from above. Live differently now. Come on. You've got power to do so. Come on now. Act like who you are in me. Yes, Lord. That's every day. That's every day. And I thank him that he gives help to deal with myself. And that's why he says, put self to death. Reckon that self is dead, that you died with Christ and you're alive. Oh, man, I still need a savior, which is why I have to preach the gospel to myself. The gospel is not just for lost people. (laughs) The good news is for saved people. To remind me that he died for me. That's why we take communion. That he was buried for me that... He rose for me. As a matter of fact, I died with him. I was buried with him and I rose with him. When we start thinking like who we are, it changes how we live. That's why the good news and the main point of this message today is that Jesus is a situational savior. I'm going to preach this. When I, when I get to this next part, he's a situational savior. He's just not concerned about taking your soul to heaven and we thank God for that. We thank God for glorification and justification. We thank him for sanctification, how he's growing us, conforming us to be like Christ. But he's also a situational savior. He will step in and save the day, save the moment, save the hour, save the situation at any given time. He still lives to save us. Because he's the good shepherd, we are the sheep. And like sheep, we put our head down and we're just munching on the grass, munching on the grass, not knowing there's a cliff coming. So we need a shepherd to say, hey, using that hook and that staff, get over here. You're about to hurt yourself. Sheep don't even know that it needs to be saved because it's so dumb. And sometimes we just got our head down doing stuff and God is saving us without us even asking for him to save us. He gets us out of stuff that we didn't got in, whether we didn't put ourselves in it. You didn't sign something. You know, you shouldn't have signed. You didn't pray about it. Didn't think about it. You didn't call a lawyer. You just signed it. But Jesus had to get you up out of that thing. He saves. But what we're going to see today is 
Sometimes we don't want to call on him to save us because we think we can get this. We, we got this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can fix this. I, I can get myself out. No, you can't. You still need a savior. Last I checked, Jesus is savior and you are not. <laughs> and neither is your pastor. So go with me over to Matthew chapter 14. Oh, man, I got to share something with you. You want to see that he's a situational savior? I hope this revolutionizes your prayer life to recognize that God is with you every step. He's just not here on Sunday. He's with you. He's in you. He'll be with you till the end of the age. And you can call on him at any time about anything. Some folk you call, they get tired of you calling. Uh Uh-oh. Thank God for caller ID. Here he is again calling. I used to have a message on my machine. Um, I hope that you called Jesus before you called me. Hmm. But here it is, y'all. Watch this. Matthew chapter 14. He's a situational savior. Verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. While he sent the multitudes away, and when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now, when evening came, he was all alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now, in the fourth watch, which is between 3 and 6 a.m., so it's still dark. In the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them. Walking on the sea. This is the Sea of Galilee. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water so he said come and when Peter had come down out of the boat he walked on the water to go to Jesus but when he saw that the wind was boisterous he was afraid and beginning to sink he cried out saying Lord save me and immediately Jesus stretched out his hand And caught him and said to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they had got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. The Bible says here that Peter was beginning to sink. A man of God. An apostle. A man who walked with Jesus, a man who had gone out and ministered two by two and a man who had been endowed with great power from the Lord to even cast out demons and raise the dead. A man who would later write scripture and all those great things. But at this moment, this great man of God who stepped out on faith and did something that had never been done before. No other man had walked on water. That's why they're marveling when they see Jesus, the son of man, the son of God walking on water. This is crazy. 
Then Peter, you know, that's one of his strengths. You know, he's got this spontaneous spirit, you know. Lord, Lord, if that's you, let me do it. You know, he was a maverick. And Jesus is not afraid of mavericks. He's not afraid of people who are willing to be trailblazers, pioneers, people who are willing to do things that have never been done. As a matter of fact, he likes that kind of stuff. So he says to him, come on. Peter gets out of that boat and he's walking. But he takes his eyes off the Lord. He looks at the elements and he begins to sink. How many of you are sinking today? It's okay for you to say I'm sinking. Don't try to act like you're still walking on water, but you're taking in water. Trying to be spiritual. Here's a spiritual man who is struggling in this moment. And if he can sink, leaders sink, you sink, Billy Graham sink, you name it. Because this thing is called flesh. We're weak. Who's sinking today in depression? Depression's just been ruling you, coming over you. Despair. You're sinking. You're sinking in discouragement. Oh, Lord. Some of us are sinking with envy and jealousy and covetousness we're we're sinking it's it's taking us over some of us are sinking with sickness ah man i know the outward man is wasting away i know i'm supposed to have joy but this thing ah, i'm just sinking lord jesus i'm tired god some of us are sinking with overeating some of us are sinking with bitterness and unforgiveness overspending and materialism to try to fix pain that we got. We, we just sink. We, we, we go out and buy something to try to fix what we feel because we just keep going down. We know we're made for better than this. We're sinking with fear. We're afraid of everything. We're, we're sinking with suicidal thoughts. Pornography is taking us under. Fornication and being tempted is just taking us under. Homosexual desires is taking us under. Bad relationships, they're just taking us down. We're sinking in this thing. We know we should walk on water. Matter of fact, we were walking on water, but we're sinking. Alcohol and drug abuse, getting caught up in illegal activity. My circumstances like bankruptcy, no money in the bank. My wife and I keep talking about divorce. Oh, my goodness. We're sinking. Some of you said, man, I'm not sinking. I didn't sink. I'm at the bottom. But here's the good news. Whether you're sinking or you didn't sunk, <laughs> there is a savior. Mm, oh, come on. Now. There is a savior. And you may say, oh, he's tired of saving me. No, he's not. He doesn't get tired. He's inexhaustible. He he doesn't wear out. Oh, his mercy didn't run out on me. No, mm, he's rich in mercy. His mercy is from everlasting. No, he's able to save. Now, Peter may not have known a lot of things, but he knew who to call on in that moment. You know who to call on? Not the one you prayed that little prayer at camp or at church. No, no. Call on him right now. School bill. You standing in that line. You don't know how you're going to pay. Or you online trying to figure out. His name is Jesus. Card note. Whatever it is. There's nothing too hard for God. 
But sometimes we don't have because we haven't asked the Savior to help you. How that song go that old hymn? Ask the Savior to help. Somebody help me. Y'all remember that. Some of y'all old folk know that one. He will carry you through. I was sink, what, what, drifting far from the peaceful shore. Remember that old one they wrote too? How I go, baby? Qu- quote it for me. You remember that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore. Okay. Deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the heard my and from the water and now faith. Somebody knew what they were writing. And then he said, love lifted me, even me. Woo! Ah, you got to call him, man. Peter knew who to call. He said, Lord, save me. He did not say, John, Andrew, Matthew, James. He didn't call out to his homies because his homies couldn't help him. Aren't you guilty, like me sometimes, of calling man before you call the Lord? We got to stop doing that. We got to stop putting people in a position, setting them up to fail. And then you become disillusioned with people and the church. Again, my name is Pastor Chris. I'm not the Christ. And neither is your mother or your father. You've got to learn the words of prayer yourself. His name is Jesus. Call on him. Peter knew who to cry out to. He knew how to cry out. When you were drowning, This is not the time for a polite prayer, an impressive prayer, or a long prayer. Did you see this in here? This ain't no little polite prayer, you know, that they teach you to pray in church. Oh, I only want to imitate some of our prayers. we, We know how to pray. But when you're riding down the street and the 18 wheeler comes in front of you, Jesus! One of them angels moves your car. Ain't no long prayer. Ain't one of them kind of prayers, you know, where, where, where it's just nice and polite. And it ends with a period. When I look in this prayer, that brother has an exclamation point on his prayer. I know this ain't your nature, your character. You don't, you know, get undignified. It don't take all of that. But yes, it does. You let the right thing hit you. Your prayers are going to start having some exclamation points on them. Now, Jesus is not hard of hearing, but he don't mind us yelling at him from time to time. He could hear Peter, but Peter was in that place where he said, Lord, save me. And this was a man who had been out on the water. This was not his first storm. He knew how to swim, unlike some of us black folks. I mean, like some of us folks in here. He knew how to swim. But this was the storm of all storms at night. Jesus, save me. He knew how to cry out. When last time you prayed with desperation? They're not checking it off the list. I had prayer this morning. I think the Lord would rather two minutes of desperation and crying out than 30 minutes of just this nice polite stuff. Because if we start crying out in desperation over the stuff that's really hurting us in our prayer closet, that two minutes might turn into 10, might turn into 15, might turn 20. And we look up, we didn't been here an hour. What didn't happen? The time didn't change. We changed. Because we got up in there and we started pouring out our heart before him like water. He already knows the heart anyway, so we might as well tell him. Then he knew when to cry out. 
He was beginning to sink and he cried out. So let us learn that when we feel ourselves slipping, you don't have to fall all the way down. We coming to visit you in the hospital or in jail or we're coming to see you at court. You don't have to go all the way down before you cry out for help. When you start feeling yourself slipping, Jude 24, now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before his throne. Call out to him. Lord, I feel like I'm slipping on this one. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> Man, uh, there's some stories I could tell y'all, I, uh, but I, but I got to keep going. I got to keep going. There's some stories I could tell. And when he cried out to Jesus, what did Jesus do? Did Jesus say, nah, man, I'm not going to help you? Uh-uh. The scripture says immediately. Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him immediately. We have a savior who hears our prayers and he ministers immediately. Now, it may not be how we want, but his first way of ministering to us before he does the thing around us is that he wants to do the thing in us. Let me minister to your spirit. Let me minister to your soul because you can't save somebody that's drowning if that person is trying to save themselves. So let's get that kick out of you and now just sit back. Okay. And then let the lifeguard take control. So let the Holy Spirit minister to you when you're kicking and struggling and you're feeling like you're sinking. The Lord will immediately, let's say over there in Philippians 4, 6, that when we pray that he'll remove the anxiety and give us peace that surpasses our understanding. And so that's why in the old church, folk would stay at the altar and they wouldn't get up until the Lord had put that peace in their spirit. They would linger before the presence of God and they would get up different than how they came and got down at that altar. But in today's contemporary society, we got places to go, things to do, people to see. We don't really have time to linger in the presence of the Lord to get from him that peace that I need before he speaks peace to my circumstances. Ah, but Lord, take us back to the way it used to be. To walk on water is to have authority over the water. Stay with me. When Jesus walked on the water, he was exercising his authority as the son of God. He was on top of the water. When Peter stepped out of the boat, he was walking in the authority that Jesus gave him over the elements. Now watch this. When the elements came, the storm came, the disciples were afraid. And then when they saw Jesus, the Bible says they were troubled and they thought that it was a ghost. And the Bible says all of them were afraid. Then when Jesus says, hey, it's me, be of good cheer. Then Peter said, let me come to you. Let me walk on that thing that I was once afraid of. Let me walk to that one that I was once afraid of. Some of us are afraid of Jesus because we think that Jesus is a ghost, that he's here to hurt us, not to help us. But I'm here today to speak to you and to say you need to walk on these things that are trying to kill you and you need to walk to the one who loves you. He's not a ghost. He's Jesus. I don't care what somebody said to you to make you think that Jesus isn't who he was. Cast that down right now. You walk to Jesus and you walk on that thing. That's that depression that's trying to get you. Jesus doesn't want that thing ruling over you. He wants you ruling over it. No, no, pastor. Hold on now. Yeah, it takes faith, don't it? Not faith in faith, but faith in Jesus. The one who says, come on, I want you to walk in victory. So Chris, let's walk on that anger that you have from time to time and want to take you down. Come on, man, I don't want that thing defeating you. Yes, Lord. Yes, let's walk on it. 
And like Peter, sometimes I got victory walking on anger, fear, and lust. And then every now and then I look around, I get my eyes off the Lord, and I start sinking. But I got enough help from the Holy Ghost, enough sense to say, Jesus, save me before I hit bottom. And the Lord will lift me up and allow me to stand on the thing that I once stood on. See, what happens is we start walking in victory, then we fall. And then we think it's over. But the Lord is the kind of Lord who picks you up and says, let's start walking again. Don't let this thing take you down. Because before they got into the boat, Peter had to stand on the water again. He went down. Jesus scooped him up. And then they got into the boat together, which means he had to stand on the water again. He had to have authority again over the thing that he was afraid of that was trying to kill him. He stood on it again like he stood on it the first time because Jesus is a savior like that. Okay, you failed. You messed up. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Get back up again. And he'll help you walk. Because I know guys, they, they fall in pornography. I didn't fail again. Guys go back to selling weed, smoking weed. I didn't messed up again. I yelled at my wife again. I did this again. But you can get back up again. For a just man may fall how many times? Seven times. And gets back up again. So Peter, he walked on that water. But I have a question as I close this message. He walked, then he sank. He cried out, save me. The situational savior, Jesus, didn't say, leave that prayer in church. He didn't say, I'm only concerned about your soul. No, he answered him right there in the middle of that lake, in the darkest of night, in the middle of a storm, saved his life. (laughs) What were the 11 doing when all this was going on out there? What were they doing? We know they were watching. They're watching. And then Peter goes down. I wonder if they do like a lot of church people who watch when other church folk go, folk go down. And that is criticize them. You know he shouldn't have went out there anyway. <laughs> That's what he get trying to show off. Look at him. He getting what he deserved now. Or oh, we're silent. We just watch brothers and sisters sink. And we don't say anything. But I have to believe that when they saw their comrade do what I'm sure they all wanted to do. That's why Peter's a leader. Leaders, we just step out first. We may not always know what we're stepping on or what we're stepping to, but we, we at least going to step. And yeah, we're going to sink from time to time. Yeah, mm-hmm, it don't work. But that's why we're leaders. And there's a leader inside of all of us. We all need to step. And as they're looking at him, I want to believe when he started going down, Andrew, John, James, Bartholomew, Thomas, Philip, I hope they said, Jesus, save him. Save him, Lord. Because that's what friends do. When you have friends who see you sink, yeah, you irritate us because you, you, you done messed up again. Huh? We've been trying to help you, but we better be humble too because we, we can fall. We better be careful. So you didn't talk to your son. You didn't talk to your brother. You didn't talk to your sister. And they're still not getting it. Okay, I need to stop talking to you and at you. And I need to do more intercession for you. Jesus, help him. It, nothing I'm saying is getting through. I'm trying to share your word with them. I'm trying to share my testimony. They're not listening. They keep saying, Lord, I'm going to keep on interceding. Save him. Save her. Save, Lord. That's what friends. Are you that kind of friend that when you see your buddies sink, you intercede? You got to be that kind of friend. You got to have those kind of friends. Lord, save him. This is the power of collective intercession. 
If one can put a thousand to flight, two can put 10,000 to flight. What can 11 do? What can 200, 300, 400 do if we call on the name of Jesus together? Now, in Acts chapter 12, Peter was locked up facing his execution. And before his execution, brother man was sleeping because he learned something about the master. He knew his times were in the hands of the Lord, not in Herod's hands. He's sleeping the night before he's supposed to be killed. But the Bible says in Acts chapter 12, the church was interceding for him all night long. This is why you need to be a part of a church, because you never know when you're going to go through something that you need the church interceding for you. Yeah, you can pray. But Jesus says something about when two or three are gathered in my name, something unusual happens there. He fills the temple with his presence. So we're about to pray right now for these closing minutes we have. We're going to pray for those people that, you know, are sinking. And if it's you, you're going to pray for yourself and say, Jesus, save me from sinking. If it's a loved one who's here or not here, Lord, we're going to take this time in the house of God as John Hancock comes back. We're going to pray. And if you need to pray loudly, even though many times that won't happen because we just, just, but I'm asking the Lord to break that yoke. Jim Simbola tells a story about when his daughter had gone astray. He's the pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle Church and their church is an interceding church. She had gone astray. She got caught up in the world. Satan was trying to take her down and he told the church about what was going on and the church started interceding for his daughter. And one night when he was discouraged, ready to give up, he tells the story. He walked into his church and he heard his church travailing in prayer for his daughter. And it gave him so much hope and so much encouragement that when he got home that night, the Lord had heard the prayers of his people and his daughter was in the kitchen on the kitchen floor saying, Daddy, I'm sorry, I'm coming home. He said that his church that night sounded like a birthing room. All of the moaning that was going on in there. And I thank God as I was preparing this message, Lord, we need to pray today. But the Holy Spirit did something during worship today as we stood in the gap and interceded with our sister and our brother. Because this is what this house is supposed to be, a house of prayer. See, if we understood the power of prayer, we'd do it more. But Satan understands the power of prayer. That's why he tries to keep us from doing it. But oh, when we pray. So let's pray today. We're going to get in small groups. And we're going to pray. We're going to cry out. We're going to pray, Lord, save me. Or save him or save her. But finally, I'm going to ask that you pray, save us. You see, Peter was drowning. And he had enough sense to call out to the Lord. Without going into too much detail, Strong Tower is drowning right now. But guess what? This isn't our first episode where we've been on the sea and we've been drowning. Because the master has kept us almost 20 years now. We, 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 we battled and gone through many a storm. He's the anchor for our soul. He keeps us. But we got to ask him to help us. Why? Well, you know, we've been trying to get an executive pastor. Two weeks ago, our first candidate... John Purple that we brought in, he let us know that he accepted a position at another place. 
And that was good because we told John, we're glad you accepted that position because we have come to see that we can't afford this position right now. So I'm glad that you accepted it because when we look at what's in the bank and we're falling short in our budget, we can't afford to get an executive pastor. So therefore, we had to cancel Carlos Brito, who was coming in this Sunday to interview with the elders. We just said, hey, man, there's no need for you to come because if we like you, we can't hire you because we don't have the money like we thought we would have it. We're taking in water financially. We're taking in water because we have a budget that says about we need to get about 24, 25,000 a week. But we're coming in at roughly 18,000 a week. And so what, when this kind of stuff happens, we got to go back and adjust the budget. We've done that before. So I put the church, the, the staff back on a spending freeze. I told them they're going to have to cut their ministry budgets. And I said, hopefully there won't be any pay cuts or staff cuts. And I'm talking to a group of people that had a pay cut in 2010 and still have not had their salary restored or a cost of living increase added to them. So I'm talking to a group of people who've been able to see God do miracles because Strong Tower may be a resource, but God is their source and he meets our needs outside of a paycheck. But I'm telling our staff, man, you know, let's make these cuts because right now we're not doing it. I don't know. Every church goes through it. We go through it. But we're not going to go through this and not pray. We're going to ask God to help us. Lord, we need some resources. And I hate to say this, man. We still owe money on phase one. The contractor who helped us put the balcony up and the new sound system, we still owe money. And right now, we can't even pay. We're going week to week, month to month. And I'm embarrassed to say that. But it's the truth. We got to pay these people. We can't even talk about phase two till we take care of phase one. We need help. And not getting an executive pastor means this stuff still falls on me. And the elders don't like that. I don't like that, but we do what we got to do just like you do in your house. But Lord, help us. So this is how we're going to pray. I need you to stand up on your feet. We're going to have a season of prayer. Intercession, the church is going to pray. Acts chapter 4, it says when the church prayed, the room that they were in shook. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly to one another. Before we leave and go to the parking lot, go to Chili's, go wherever we're going to go for lunch, let's pray. We're praying, save me. You know who you are. If you're being sunk down with unforgiveness, bitterness, whatever, Lord, save him. Which could be my son, my daughter, my cousin, my mother. Lord, save. But then save us. Say, Lord, we need help. So take time. I want you to hold hands. I want you to touch and agree throughout this room. If you don't know Jesus, go with the people in your group and say, I'm going to ask Jesus to save me right now. And do that in your group. Say, Jesus, save me. If you don't know the Lord, let that be your first prayer. Jesus, save me. And after we spend some time in prayer, out loud, pray out loud. Pray out loud. Then John Hancock and the team will close us. Amen. Let's do it, church.